This is the WP Elevation Podcast, helping WordPress consultants elevate. G'day, Troy Dean here from WP Elevation, and I'm very pleased to have with me all the way from the UK, Paul Gibbs from BuddyPress and WordPress VIP. Good evening, Paul. Good evening, Troy. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you for joining us on the WP Elevation podcast. Uh, For those of you that don't know, Paul and I actually did this back in October 2012 uh, on the original Compress podcast when it was, and my computer died and I needed a hard drive replacement, and that interview never saw the light of day. And back then, you had quite a bit more facial hair, Paul Gibbs. Uh Uh-huh. I'm a little (laughs) bit more clean-shaven these days. (laughs) Is that because you're now working at WordPress VIP? Is that why? (laughs) Well, it's 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 uh, it's just a kind of a new start to the new year. Just just you know, just smarten up a bit. Uh, yeah. Both like both work and both um, you know my own time. Yeah. Yeah, clean slate kind of uh-huh. thing. Uh-huh. Awesome. Hey, before we get into this quick competition announcement, um, Paul is going to give away a an, ele- an electronic copy and a physical copy of the Buddy Press theme development book, which is brand new. So stick around for details on how you can enter to win that. All right. Paul Gibbs, when you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? I wanted to be, for, for a very long time, like through, I guess you'd probably call it elementary school. I didn't really know. Um, and then it was like, I want to build video games. I want to build 3D video games. And that's still kind of, if I'm ever able to to do that, it would still be like a really interesting side project. Um, but yeah, I've always wanted to build 3D video games because... Um, I was. I remember playing Quake One when it came out. It's the third free three dimensional video game, and it's yeah. like, wow, you can yeah. jump and move and step, and it all works. And I thought this would, it'd be pretty cool to like see if I can build these things. So, yeah. what is it you think? Like, because most most you know most young people or teenagers when they're into the video game thing. They, they get so immersed in the actual gaming. What is it you think, wh- why did you look at it from an objective point of view and go, wow, somebody's making this stuff. Wouldn't it be cool to get to the, wouldn't it cool to be, go, go behind the curtains and learn how this stuff's actually made? I think, I think having kind of grown up and become a, a professional web developer, um, I think it's just the way my brain is wired in as much as that there's this kind of, um, I see something and, like be it like um, a special effect in like a film or on television or a website or a graphics. Um, and it's just like, I wonder how they did that. And it's just, uh, and of course in web, web development, it's pretty straightforward. You can right click view source and <laughs> you can see how people done stuff. It's harder to do that in a video game. Yeah. yeah. It's funny, isn't it, when you discover view source for the first time? Because you kind of think there's all this other stuff in the world that you'd love to be able to right click and view source. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's yeah. like web pages aren't secret. Yeah, they're just in there. Yeah, it's all, it's all free. Uh, yeah, particularly relationships with other human beings. You know, when you come out of an interaction, you think, "Oh, what happened then? What went wrong then? I wish I could right click and view the source of that uh-huh, and analyze uh-huh. it." Yeah, view the view the error console in a web browser. <laughs> all that. Yeah. See what went wrong, yeah. <laughs> Turn debug on. Um, uh-huh. All right, when did you discover the web? The web, it was a bit about 1995. Um, I was friends with a rich kid in town, and he was probably the first in our group at school who had the internet. It's like, I was like around at his house. We were checking out the cool website. So this is like Yahoo, Alta Vista, yeah. Excite, yeah. GeoCities, yeah. Um 
and uh, I, I don't I don't think it ever used AOL in its heyday in that kind of wall garden thing, but um, I kind of missed that. But um, yeah, it was all news things, and it was like, um, and I, and again, I thought, I thought that's pretty cool, and uh, it just seemed. Um, I just saw it, and it was being like, obviously, like like anywhere, it was heavily pushed. Like you can send emails to each other and replace faxes, or you know whatever they were saying way back then. And um, yeah, we got it about a year later, in about 90, 95, 96, uh, mm. just sort of, just sort of before I started um, what we call secondary school here. Right. And um, yeah. And um, do you remember the first time you saw the WordPress dashboard? You know, that's no. It's <laughs> it's an it's an interesting thing. I do remember. I thought about this before. I do remember, like, because um, like. I fell in with a group of folks online who had like, we had like a shared server so we could go and throw in code and websites and get ourselves hacked eventually and then rebuild things and learn how to do it properly and all the rest of it. And um, yeah, and there was like, we had, we were using some kind of forum software as a website, which didn't kind of worked, <laughs> but not really. And it was like, we like it was like we clearly like we need a CMS of some description. We can't just because there's there was like two of us who knew enough HTML to like write pages, and it's like this could take forever. And what more people to write on our little site of like 20, 30 people or so. So we, I think I remember um, just in my spare time because it was a pretty fun thing to do. Just not knowing what CMS was, just come across like Joomla and Drupal and WordPress. Um, as well as other bigger platforms, like you could, uh, there was a self-hosted version of SourceForge. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's still available or not. Um, that was a nightmare to set up. Just, um, just all, just all these things, and um, and that kind of set me up later on when I came back into WordPress because I thought I vaguely remember playing with this, you know, some long time ago. So yeah, it was a, it was a way in. We're going to talk about uh, your involvement with BuddyPress in a little minute, but it's um, it's an interesting, it's a, it's a common kind of story I hear from people on this podcast that they discover WordPress. It's relatively easy to get up and running in comparison to the other options. They then start developing it for their own projects. They then start maybe building it for clients or they start building products on top of it. And it sounds to me like you've had a very similar trajectory, which we'll, which we'll talk about in a moment. But before we, before we kind of recap your journey just moving forward to today you are currently uh, working uh, at automatic you're part of the wordpress vip team and you are uh, if i'm not mistaken still lead developer on BuddyPress. is that all correct you get like kind of eight marks out of ten for that pretty close <laughs> right. no so yeah i've been working at automatic since uh for about a year a year and a month or so now um i am one of the lead developers of BuddyPress. right um there's up to five of us, I think now. Uh -huh. And um, so my first year at Automatic, I was working on the VIP team. That's kind of web hosting and kind of project management and support for large businesses like um, New York Post, uh, yep. New York Times, Metro UK, and all sorts of um, Optus, all sorts of different outfits. And um, so that was fun. And uh, at the turn of the year, I decided to switch teams, and I've joined uh, the, what, uh, our team that we use to support our 
happiness engineers, our customer service people. Uh-huh. So I'm a happiness gardener, ah, which is a, a good name. Is a ha- happiness gardeners, happiness gardeners, exactly. We a happiness gardener, out. wow. Yeah, uh-huh. uh-huh. So basically, if our, our happiness engineers find a bug or, you know, in, in WordPress.com and need a developer to fix it, they might go and get hold of a gardener and we'll either go and fix the issue, fix the bug, triage things. And we also do a lot of work on internal tools to make it easier for those guys to do support to everyone. Wow. And like work on improvements they suggest. So um, that's pretty new. I've only been on the happiness gardening team for about two or three weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I, I need a new shirt. This one still says VIP <laughs> on it, but yeah. It's so, a good song. So when, when you meet people for the first time and they say, hey, Paul, what do you do? How do you sum that up in kind of one or two sentences? What's the elevator pitch, so to speak? It, you kind of, hopefully, you know, depending on maybe where we meet the person, um, what kind of background. If they're not particularly technology background, mm. it might be I work as a developer or for a website and that helps to power 20 odd percent of the web. Um, if maybe they know a little bit about WordPress, they may have heard of Automatic. So I say, I work for Automatic as a developer, the company who runs WordPress.com. And, they may or may not know what automatic is, what the, where the lines are, and, and that's a good way into the conversation. Gotcha. Yeah. So what do you spend most of your time actually doing day to day? So r- just writing loads of code. In my, in my work job, it's just um, this year I've been focused on uh, building out, a t- along with a team of three or four other people, a subset of the happiness gardening team, uh, kind of building a, a new version of an internal tool we use to manage certain kinds of support requests and tickets. Wow. Um, typical story that the existing tool that we're using is kind of had more uh, different types of support ticket and service kind of stuck into it. It's a bit Frankenstein. <laughs> it, the user interface doesn't work very well. The code works, but not. maybe it's a little bit slow in places. So we're kind of rebuilding this from the ground up. Um, so I'm doing a lot of um, JavaScript development with Backbone, which is pretty new to me. So it's been fun not only to uh, work on the early versions of a new tool, but also to as a developer to like really dive into a, a language or a, a platform that uh, I haven't really gone into before. Mm. Um, I, I'm, I read uh, Year Without Pants recently from Scott Birkin, and, and mm-hmm. uh, he kind of mentions these internal tools that, uh, you guys use it automatic and I'm always curious how wh- wh- and this is totally off topic by the way but I'm always mm-hmm. curious how do you make a decision about whether or not those tools become that you launch them into the wild I know that you've just released O2 uh, which is kind of a, a version of P2 that you've been using internally for a while how do you how do you get to a point where you go you know what this is actually really useful we should launch this and, and make this publicly available mm-hmm. so I think it really depends what purpose the tool had internally Lots of our self-built tools are for managing things like managing our servers, to monitoring our servers, to recording statistics, um, to building an uh, like Photon, our image CDN, which we kind of expose to the wider WordPress population through Jetpack. I mean, uh, Photon, that, the, that is on GitHub somewhere, I do believe. That's open source. Um, so some of the things we do release are maybe not easily installable because they're intended for server sure. server gurus, people who run that stuff. Um, and more and more of the uh, bits 
that we're adding into Jetpack have been launched as kind of internal um, kind of, you know, things that we've just wanted to done or experiments people have tried and they've worked for us. Mm. And Jetpack is perhaps a good way of getting the best in those tools out. And, of course, conversely, things like O2, which you mentioned, which is, uh, yeah, it's been really solid. We've been using it for probably internally maybe seven or eight months now. Mm-hmm. Um, it's in kind of private alpha or beta testing at the minute. Mm. And um, I think you can, people can check it out at geto2.com. There's a mailing list for four details. Um, yeah, and that was really built as something because we promote the use of P2s and we you know, may have seen WordCamp presentations about how we organize ourselves as a company and we use P2. And I mean, the WordPress core project, the open source project uses P2. Um, O2 is just really the next generation. Again, just a rebuild with, again, with technologies like Backbone and, um, and uh, just get maybe get rid of some of the technical debt that built up in some of the P2 code. If uh, if you're as a developer, you've ever looked into some of the JavaScript in P2, it was getting a little bit hairy in parts. Um, so that was kind of more something that was easily identifiable and it was built from the start as, as something that was, is, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be open source. Mm. And um, that was something and that was built from the ground up with that in mind. It's interesting. Well, we've been uh, we've been using P2 for a few months now here internally, and we're just taking O2 for a spin. So I'm going to put a link to that mm-hmm. under the video in the show notes. Geto2.com. It's essentially we think of it as like a almost like an intranet or an internal communication tool where we can instead of using Basecamp or or um, you know Campfire or one of the, or HipChat or one of those uh, uh, chat. Um, tools we use uh, O2 we use P2 to make sure all everyone on the team can have ongoing conversations and keep abreast of what everyone's up to so check it out I'll put a link in the show notes so given the fact that you work on product that millions of people around the world use on a daily basis I'm curious about what it is that keeps you awake at night <laughs> ah. <laughs> insomnia no um it's not kind of there's this internal joke between developers automatic that sooner or later someone is going to accidentally break some part of wordpress.com and we use irc for like error reporting so if someone pushes a new piece of code and that breaks something everyone in the whole company can see all the error message flying and it's like a better technique you know better revert that change and Yep. You know, push the fix out pretty quickly because, like you say, there are so many people using it. Um, so every time I, um, every time I still, after like a year at the company, every time I uh, have code ready for commit, I like I draft the commit message so it's perfect and lots of detail and lots of links to bug trackers and explaining why I made the change. And I'll often like check the code, the change that I've made several times to check that I've not made any, missed anything stupid like Mr. Semicolon or a bracket. <laughs> we've all done that. And we've all spent hours and hours and it's like, oh, this one bracket that somehow the whole thing still works, but not in the right way. And it's like one bracket or one colon. Yeah. So every time, really, every time I, I, uh, I go to make a change for my last thing before I do send that code live is like sanity check. You triple check that I'm not gonna break anything trivial. Do, do you have any tools to kind of help you check those 
closing brackets or make sure the semicolons are in the right place? Um, yeah, we have some, in terms of like automated tools, we do have um, various scripts. We use SVN yep. and um, kind of the pre-commit hooks, which um, SVN make available. We have very, or well, the, the most basic example is like we, there's a, we use the PHP binary to check whether the, the file we're committing is a valid, whether the syntax is valid. Um, more and more of our code base is coming with unit tests, both PHP, um, JavaScript, and a you know variety of programming languages that we use. Um, but really, it's about just writing good code, and, uh, and there's always ways of minimizing the risk of of code that might not be ready, um, like many companies. GitHub had some good articles on it in a, last summer, I think, about how they can launch futures and only GitHub employees can see it. And they test it out. They kind of uh, see whether it it works well, whether the UI is good, whether there's any bugs. And then once once it's ready for them, they like go forwards and uh, really release that publicly. And as we're building things in development, the best way to get that feedback and check whether something is robust and works well is to let the other 200 and 210 people inside the company play with it. So mm. we launched quite a lot of stuff internally for a little while first. Um, again, so if we do miss a bracket or something, hopefully only look a bit weird to, inter, you know, employees rather than yeah. the general public. <laughs> sure. I remember yeah. talking to Gary Gary Pendergrass on one of the first uh -huh. interviews on Compress, and he, he said, you know, and we've all been here where it's very late, you're very tired. You just want to get this thing finished so you can go to bed. And you hit the publish button and you, as you're falling asleep, you realize what you've done and you've, you know, you've committed some bad code or you've broken something. To add, my, the, the question is, how do you know when it's time to step away from the computer and take a breath and clear your head and come back to it tomorrow? Um, kind of uh, is a good question. Um, I personally... Uh, you learn stuff for experience. It's like I tend to not push any code out after after like half past five in the afternoon my time because if I do and it breaks something, it's going to push back my dinner and my <laughs> evening and it's going to eat into my own time, you know? So I'm, yeah. I'm careful about doing that. And um, if I finish something so late in the day, there's no harm in letting it wait for another 18 hours or so until tomorrow rolls around and, and getting it getting getting it out then good uh, good good advice because i think that's one of the things that a lot of developers find hard is that in because the thing about developing code is you push something out and it has an immediate impact and you can see that instant kind of result of your work and i think some developers find it really hard to resist that instant gratification and you tend to sort of publish things early Whereas what, you've, what you're saying here is it's ready to go, just step away, go to bed, sleep, come back tomorrow and, and publish it with a clear head. And I think that's a really important lesson. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, uh, I just thought of what you, whilst you were saying, I thought of a uh, slightly different angle to it. And as much as that, if we had some kind of deadline, it has like some deadline that said something must be launched by the end of the day at somewhere in some cities, in the world and it's like that would involve me staying up until like midnight or 2 a.m that's as a developer unless i start my day at lunchtime i'm going to be totally brain dead yeah my brain is not going to be working then and sometimes i'll kind of 
every all of our teams i've got people in multiple time zones so if i finish for the day and maybe it's project work i can hand off something to uh maybe someone in san francisco who's like seven or eight hours behind me mm. and they have a half a day to finish it and and maybe now launch it so if there is that kind of deadline or something as a team we really want to get out by a certain time and um we don't we don't want to push that launch back and it it does get tight sometimes you can just wrap up what you've done send it to another developer in your teams who's who's still in the middle of their work there and let them finish it yeah one of the one of the that's one of the beautiful things about having a distributed workforce in uh in in Mm. in multiple time zones around the world sure um how do you clear your head what do you do do when you're not working how do you unwind so um i quite like reading lots of uh, books um lots of fiction um, I used to play quite a lot of video games. Um, I kind of perhaps three years ago, I quit playing video games as heavily as I used to and kind of doubled down on uh, web development, learn, you know, improving my code and just taking those extra hours in the evening or the day or whatever after, after my jobs to just to, instead of chilling out of a game, I might just, um, you know, I might just learn to code. But I think generally it's, as long as what you're doing is tipping, if I work all day coding and then I work on uh, a buddy press perhaps all evening, it's just one super long day of work. I've been doing the same type of work all day long. Mm. But um, so maybe I just like say shut down a laptop and uh, go and read a book. So that's a, it gets my brain engaged in a totally different way. Mm. Yeah, readings, uh, readings, readings, f- fabulous. And I'm just discovering fiction again. I'm getting away from reading business books in bed at night uh-huh. because, because that's not yeah, that's yeah. not good for your sleep cycles. And I'm just I'm just learning now after years of my fiance smacking me over the head with fiction books and buying me fiction books for presents all the time. I'm finally now just discovering the the beauty of uh, of fiction because it's it, it is it takes you into another world and it completely transforms your concentration and your mind from and your consciousness from where you were into this whole other place and it's a, a really nice circuit breaker to get your head out of code and, and out of work you say on your website that you're learning to love travel i noticed mm-hmm. that uh, that little quip in your website what what did you not love about it originally so the biggest thing that's i'm still fairly nervous about travel is going through airports now, and they have quite a lot of security <laughs> and whether you think that's warranted or not is another discussion for another day yeah. but um and things like airlines making you get, get at the airport you know two hours early which is fairly standard for international flights i and they say arrive at the airport two hours early it's like mm. Why can't I arrive there half an hour and just, you know, get off the train, go through the airport, jump on a plane? Um, and it just seems to be such a tiring process. And um, and I kind of realised, and something that people don't think about, or if you travel a lot, you quickly begin to realise that it takes up a lot of your time. Mm. You have to pack, you have to unpack, you have to maybe get used to where you're staying or the time zone after you have to like find places for dinner because it's an area you don't know it's just all these little things add up so as fun as traveling it's always like coming home at the end of it because i know everything it's safe it's easy and um and then a couple of days after i'm like oh i want to go traveling again i want to <laughs> go back to america or you know spain or somewhere and all these places had you traveled much before you joined automatic 
Um, maybe kind of um, no, only family holidays. Growing up, like right. um, maybe one trip a year to like Spain, Canada, a few times, that kind of stuff. So right. it's been very different. And uh, and so you travel quite a bit now with Automatic. With the is it is it the the team kind of meetups and then the the company meetup? Is that most of the travel you're doing? Yeah, pretty much. So each team will have a number of meetups each year, and like you said, there's a, a, a an absolutely crazy company wide get together. We were I think a hundred and ninety ish people last year. Wow! Uh, towards the end of last year, when we had our had our meetup, uh, we're up we're up past two hundred and ten um, wow. as, as of as of uh, as of right now. So the next company you meet up when that rolls around later in the year is going to be crazy. It's going to be so many people, and um, and you can uh, some advice that we had from um, more experienced uh, automaticians was that um, don't stop introducing yourself because there's so many people there. <laughs> it's like a really big networking event. You have to go around the whole room and say, "I'm from you know I'm a developer. I work in a store team or whatever, and I live in London." And well. Because Everybody trying to meet so many new people face to face. Yeah. Or maybe maybe they only see each other once a year. And yeah, just yeah. do video conferences or Skype calls. There's just so much to catch up on. Um, yeah. That's crazy, isn't it? And because the relationship's completely different when you meet someone face to face, isn't it? So you guys have quite you work quite intimately on on collaboration on 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 products and then so you have this kind of banter and this culture and this communication style and then you meet face to face and it's a different dynamic isn't it it is absolutely um it is absolutely a different dynamic and it's awesome um you get to know people's personality online some teams use like text communication sometimes teams use like skype calls and some google hangouts and most teams are a mixture of all of these um, just what works best for them but however you do communicate you do get to know the people especially in your direct team pretty mm. well so by the time um, you roll around and it's your team's next meetup and you get to know them you feel like you know quite a lot about the person mm. and you can just have fun listening to people and seeing them it sounds weird but actually seeing them in person yeah, and yeah, yeah. being able to like um, just go for walks with them around places and, you know, just a, a photo walk, take your cameras and, yeah. you know, somewhere where both of you have never been before. And, yeah. and, um, and likewise, uh, again, like with travel, it's great to like a mix of different cultures. Um, and for me as a Brit, it's pretty fun to like try to wind the Americans up on <laughs> English slang and stuff and confuse them. So that's been good fun. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. All right, let's talk. Let's talk a little, little bit about your career thus far. You worked at the Telegraph before you were at Automatic, yeah. Yeah. What What was your role at the Telegraph, and were you using WordPress? Absolutely, I was. Um, so I was uh, the Telegraph. I think it still does had had uh, two WordPress powered websites in addition to the to the main site, which is powered by. Um, a Java CMS, which was called a Scenic, just in case you have any CMS fans out there in the audience, yeah. um, which was kind of a bit of a beast to work with. But in terms of letting editorial publish stuff, it worked pretty well for that purpose. Uh-huh. Um, what was it called again? Sorry. Yeah. The... A Scenic. A Scenic. E E S C E N I C. Gotcha. Okay. And, it and was it's a... like a big. Was a Java it's... CMS. Java. Wow. Okay. 
So I'll put it. I'll, put like, a, I'll try and find a link and put it in the show notes. Yeah, it's it's a big enterprisey thing. So if you think you've stumbled into IBM.com by accident, you haven't. It's just it's just another big, and it's, there's probably like three or four new, uh, big newspapers in London who use it. Right. Um, it's one of the. Uh, that's kind of it's built specifically for big publishers. So that's the niche they're aiming at. Got it. Um. So they had two WordPress sites, and their previous uh, uh, guy who happened to know PHP and who happened to know some about good amount about WordPress, but he was like doing it as like a half his half Java, half PHP, half WordPress. Um, he was, uh, he was moving on to, a, to a, another position and um, it was really just about, they needed a WordPress guy and um, uh, as luck would have it, um, I found out about it and um, I made it work for me. Yeah. How did you, how did you, um, was it was it competitive to get that job? Like were, were, at, at that time, were WordPress guys a dime a dozen, or was it like we need a WordPress guy and you happen to appear with the WordPress cape on and said, "Hey, I'm Captain WordPress. I can solve this problem." Very close to that. <laughs> so very close to that in a good way. No, they were specifically looking for a BuddyPress developer. Ah, I was like, "Holy cow! Someone wants to hire me to work on BuddyPress full time. This is cool. I must do it." I found out about it when um, um, uh, a guy named Dave Coveney, who's a, up north in the UK for a company called Interconnect IT. Oh, yeah. And they're kind of a WordPress developer shop consultancy, mm-hmm. called them that. Um, he'd done some work for the Telegraph before. He they'd, they'd built out like some of the early version of WordPress for the Telegraph some years previous. So he'd kept in contact with their like editorial people, their developer managers, and uh, one of one of those people, one of their editorial staff, uh, just uh, put a tweet out on their Twitter account and said, "Looking for a WordPress slash BuddyPress developer." And um, I'd met I'd met Dave through a couple of WordCamps by then, and uh, I'd spoken about BuddyPress, and I'd I'd done a number of plugins by then. So he just emailed me and said, "Hey, you should check this out." And um, because they were specifically looking for lots of the work on their BuddyPress platform, it was one of those perhaps rare opportunities where you go, you're not going to find anyone in this part of the country who knows more about BuddyPress than I did. Yeah, so yeah. that that was good. So, so before <laughs> you were working at the Telegraph, what? How did you? How, what was your involvement with BuddyPress? Like, how? I'm I'm skipping ahead here because. I, I made the assumption that working at the Telegraph was your introduction to WordPress. I see. So mm-hmm. how, how did you start using WordPress and how did you start developing on BuddyPress? Like what were you using it for prior to uh-huh, working at the Telegraph? Uh-huh, uh-huh. Again, this kind of goes, again, goes back to a situation where I was involved with a small group of people and we were all like, um, we need a social platform because by then we'd figured out WordPress and we like moving our site over and this is sounds big and impressive but it's a very amateur operation but we were having sure. fun moving stuff open and uh, testing out WordPress plugins like you do you know you download 20 plugins turn them all on and watch your site crash and all <laughs> um well in those days anyway um so we were looking for a social thing this was like a couple of years after Facebook really got going and it found Facebook found its stripes like we need these kind of social avenues for talking to each other because our, we need that and our website can't do it. So I went to Google and 
Um, I found Buddy Press in like the top, in like the first page of search results somewhere. And uh, I checked out the web page and it said it could do, you know, these 10 different things. I thought if it does everything it says it does, it'll be pretty cool because I tried so many different platforms and different languages that most of them were so hard to install I gave up mm. or they were buggy or they didn't work. Um, so but I was like, I'd spent a lot of time in this by the time I found BuddyPress, and then it was like, oh, it's a WordPress plugin. And I thought, that's okay. I know some WordPress. I I know a little bit of PHP at a very, very kind of amateurish level. Um, so I downloaded it, looked at the code. It was nice and tidy and organized. And I thought, this is promising, based on my limited understanding of what makes a good piece of code or not. <laughs> I span it up and... Uh, did the memory I still have? And this was like I don't know, maybe six, maybe longer, a long time ago, many years. Um, and it was like it did everything it said it would, and that was really big to me. Everything it said it did on the front page of that website. Yeah, I was able to set up. Um, maybe maybe some bits were harder to get going than others back in those early versions, but ultimately did everything it did, and. Um, then I got started because there wasn't like no documentation for such a young project. I had to learn how you set it up and customize things. So that was asking questions in the forum. And as I was learning stuff, getting answers, I saw other people come into the forums and say, how do I do this? And I'm like, I found out how to do that last week. I will tell you. So I like tap, 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 tap and send and just share what I've already learned um, back. And I kept doing this. And I built up a fairly general knowledge base of WordPress, uh, of BuddyPress specifically. And then I thought, um, I should also say, going sidetrack, I'd also, I've always done like various hobby programming projects for like four or five months at a time. Again, I wrote some uh, kind of attempts at video games, then modifications for video games back in a Quake and Unreal Tournament days. Um, and then just kind of side projects to learn about MySQL and PHP, just because, again, geeky things, but stuff that sounded interesting enough to spend my evenings on learning. And, um, yeah, so and then I eventually I, and that ended up with me pulling apart BuddyPress and uh, making a couple of plugins. Like I was like, what does BuddyPress not do that I needed? I have a bullet point list somewhere mm. still. And I was like, oh, well, we need to build a thing for... I don't know, photo galleries or whatever mm. it was. And um, and I thought, these are good, but these are big things. To, I should start by finding some bugs. I mean, there are so many bugs and improvements in that kind of... This is before version one came out, so this is super early. There was so much stuff in there that I could improve on. Um, that really got me into like learning how to use track for like uh, ticket management and what makes a good ticket management. And uh, the earliest... In big name buddy press developers, Andy Peatlin and John James Jacoby, um, really um, took the time to like look at my uh, my attempts at fixes and say this is no good and fixed it another way. And I thought rather than kind of um, get frustrated by that and and give up, I thought I'll look at what I said they should fix it and how they actually fixed it and kind of again self taught what the best way of doing things in a in that kind of WordPress development environment was based on the feedback they were giving me for these code reviews um, and how our fixes differed. And I, that first year or two, I learned so much just by seeing other people 
say you forgot about this thing or you didn't fix that thing properly. You touched on an interesting point there that you know you could have just you could have just said, oh well, this is too hard. I've submitted to my ideas and they've gone and changed it, and you know you could have just moved yeah. on to something else. Yeah. What? Like there would have been so many times in that process that you were up against a brick wall trying to break on through to the other side, so to speak. Mm-hmm. A massive learning curve in such a short space of time. Why do, why do you think you kept pursuing that? I'm interested in why you didn't just give up and move on to something else. Yeah, um, it's. I think. I think I somehow saw potential in the idea. I thought here's a, 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 a in a looser sense of the word, here's a programming related thing that I could learn as a more. Uh, as a hobby or perhaps as a more long-term interest than some of these other short-term projects I was messing about with. But it had a lot of potential. I I kind of thought that it would be so cool to run your own Facebook. The early versions of BuddyPress, we pitched it as Facebook in a box. So you could Mm. set it up and unpack everything and you have Facebook on your own side. And Facebook was and is such a cool platform, um, especially in those early days when they kind of came in and really trampled over my space with its different ways of doing things. Mm. Um, it just had an idea that had so much potential. And um, I, it, I mean, it, I mean, it still does. And that's what keeps me going. There's so much, the core ideas have stood the test of time, both generally to the public and to me as, as, as a developer, someone interested in working on it. And um I think once you once you've kind of captured that dream, once you've captured the idea behind something, um, and you you know, and you can't forget about it, and it just keeps going, it's very hard to let go of something once you've kind of attributed so much worth to it. Um, and uh, before you ask why I carried on learning this stuff and why why did I like just like why did I give up or why didn't you know why didn't I give up or move on to something? especially when some of my code patches were um, kind of turned down. Um, it's all about being prepared to learn and having the, accept, uh, having, having the understanding that sometimes what you think is a good idea, you have to put a lot of time and effort into it before it becomes a good idea for someone else. And that there, ladies and gentlemen, is worth the price of admission alone. That is a, that's a great gold nugget. <laughs> It's, uh, I can't help myself sometimes, uh, but it sounds like you never took your eye off the big off the big prize, and that you always saw the potential in, in what this thing could be, and that's what kept you moving forward, even when you came up against roadblocks and frustrations and hurdles. That you just kept moving in that direction because you you could see the potential of what this thing could become if you uh, if you just kept going, and that's a, that's a hard thing to do sometimes, isn't it? It is a hard thing to do. Um, it is a hard thing to do. Um, and the ways I get fulfillment out of contributing to BuddyPress, someone else might find equally fulfilled by going to WordCamps and doing a presentation or answering a couple of questions a week on the support forums, either for a particular plugin they're interested in or, or the main project. Um, but uh, it's... Uh, We've heard uh, the likes of Matt Mullenweg say time and again that WordPress is uh, in kind of a state of the words from a few years ago. It was like WordPress was going to 
become like an an application platform or a layer on which you build things that aren't a traditional blog on. And um, I think it's kind of interesting that I love WordPress, both as a tool we use internally at Automatic and, and the way it lets us work all across the world from our own bedrooms or wherever. Mm. Um, kind of, and also the fact that it's such a solid platform. We can build things. We can build social networks like BuddyPress or forums like BBPress that we can build these very complicated pieces of software on. And we don't have to worry about, we have that trust in that underlying, that foundation layer that it's, um, that they're going to carry on building things in the right way. Mm. Um, so I think like, like, like anything that is successful, it's one of those things where, you have to be you have to sell the idea to yourself and sometimes you have to you have, you always have to take a risk if you want to try to even like day-to-day -day life forget building web apps and anything if you want to change something sometimes you have to take a risk whether that's you know going to going going to an event on yourself talking to a new person um you download and you do wordpress plugins to try out and see if you like it or not you just sometimes have to be a bit lucky that what you think is a really good idea is the right idea. Mm. How did the, um, so, so you're at the Telegraph, you're working, mm. you're, you're a BuddyPress developer at the Telegraph. Yeah. You're still contributing to BuddyPress. Uh, when did you get, um, when did you get commit access? Wow. <laughs> Uh, when did I get commit access? I can't remember. It, we're we're up to 2014. It feels like maybe early 2012. Right. Okay. So you were at the Telegraph at the time, yeah? Yeah, I think. Oh, yeah. I'm not 100 certain about looking at the calendar and dates, but yeah, right. they may have overlapped. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, they may and, have overlapped. <clears throat> so then, how did the job offer at Automatic come about? Because that was. Our, I'm pretty sure that was just after we'd done the first interview back in October 2012 that I saw mm -hmm. you uh, tweeting and making the announcement mm -hmm. that you were working mm -hmm. automatic. How did that? How did that job offer come about? Well, the the, the cheating answer is just to say I just wrote up a CV. Um, I try to make it unique and stand out because I figured a cool company like Automatic would have perhaps tens or hundreds of applications for all sorts of things every day and we do really maybe not quite to maybe hundreds every day but we do have loads and loads of applications so i thought like any job how how do i make my first point of contact how do i make myself stand out so i came up with some good ideas for how to do present my cv in an interesting way um i, I feel that my uh, credentials as written buddy not written contribute to buddy press and written some of my own wordpress plugins uh, kind of from scratch because um, you can just point to your WordPress profiles page mm. and say I've done this stuff in WordPress I'm mm. not a total greenhorn as um, mm. you know I've um, see what do you think of my ideas um, the long so now so basically I applied went through interviews trial process got the job the longer answer was that I've been thinking about I don't think I've ever told anyone this I've been thinking about working at automatic for quite a long time i thought because i heard about the, the 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 working lifestyle you don't have to go to an office 
you get you get to see there's some travel involved um all these things and you get to work on things that power you know some 10 something percent of the web back then um but i'd always thought like this idea that um i'm not good enough i'm not good enough to go to automatic mm-hmm. and um this was like this was like a, maybe when i just found about buddy press this is like a long like seven or six or seven years ago maybe it was a long time ago and i wasn't a good enough developer by then but i thought if i ever want to because career wise i wasn't sure what to do with myself i was like hopping from small job to small job nothing major i thought if i really want to make something if i have a want to i think my best way of like getting a proper developer job and changing that lifestyle in that career switch is an automatic is a good company in WordPress. At least you might want to aim for, um, to fulfill that kind of ambition of working in that kind of environment. Um, but I kind of figured out no way am I good enough. You know, my patches for BuddyPress are still being in the nicest possible way. They're still being rejected and I'm still learning from it. So I've got some way to go. Um, and so it was um and when i eventually ended up set applying for automatic i still thought i wasn't good enough i thought i still don't know as enough as much as i see all these semi-famous names on the on the web page automatic.com and it's like um these guys have these guys some of these guys build wordpress some of them have like i've seen them at WordCamps or on WordCamp tv it's like so much smarter than me so it took a lot of kind of convincing myself to just to, to send an email to 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 send my cv in and um it was at a time where i've decided to really look for like maybe moving on for the telegraph perhaps looking either switching to freelance i tried for a while or working for um one of a handful of small uk kind of um, wordpress agencies and i figured at worst, Automatic are just going to send an email and say, thanks, but no thanks. And I might learn something from the experience. Um, so when I applied, I didn't think I was ready. and um, But clearly, I was able to demonstrate and convince the, the, the people who were hiring me that, um, you know, that I, I, I was good enough. And we call this, uh, and this is called imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. And a lot of... I'm sure many of the people listening, um, when you start at a new company, it takes a little while to acclimatize to fit into the culture of the company before you feel you can really make an impact. I mean, I'm a developer. I want to I want to go in and build something. But there's this imposter syndrome. It's like I'm pretending to be here with all these smart people, and when they find out they've somehow hired me, <laughs> they're just going to kick me out. They're going to go like, why did he get that guy? <laughs> just bail out so so this is so imposter syndrome is i think happens to everyone who whether it's like i remember i don't do it anymore but i remember like starting karate lessons when i was a kid like a very very long time ago and uh again i was like probably seven or eight or nine and um i was like totally scared and paranoid but i kind of i think really i was worried about all these people have dressed up in these smart uniforms with their, you know, white um, robes on with the belts and everything. And they're all doing these uh, mod, these, these katas, these drills. And it's like, 
Um, they know what they're doing, and I'm just going to sit on the edge and copy them, but like be five seconds behind what they're doing, and it's like see whether it's right for me. And again, um, yeah. So imposter syndrome is pretty hard. It took me. I didn't think I would get the job on Apple because I didn't think I was ready, but um, um, someone thought I was. So um, uh, yeah. I think there's something really. Uh, I think there's a lot of gold in there. I, you know, one of the things that as an entrepreneur one of the things that is kind of in my head all the time is you know feel the fear and do it anyway it's you know it's it's okay to be unsure about something just do it anyway and you know what's the worst that can happen um you know what what, what not only did you apply for this job that you'd obviously built up in your mind that was so um, you know it was it was your imagination is far richer than reality isn't it so you've built this thing mm-hmm. up in your mind that wow mm-hmm. there's this there's this company called automatic and there's this you know this job that i want to go for not only did you do that but you you presented yourself you you actually consciously presented yourself in a way that would stand out and that would get their attention so you weren't just kind of sending off an email going oh well i'll just send the email off for the mm-hmm. for the sake of the exercise you actually mm-hmm. really wanted this job so what mm-hmm. did you do in that email what what it, how, what did you can you give us like one idea of what you did that made it stand out to get their attention I wow. Um, so I should say that as like an automatic employee, we don't get to see as a regular automatic employee, we don't get to see the applications that people send in. Um, and we, I'd so I don't. Unless I've asked one of my colleagues how they started at automatic, I I don't know that story, and I can't find out. Um, so I thought there's not much. I knew a handful of automaticians, people like John, uh, John James Jacobi at the time, uh, Peter Westwood, who I've met at WordCamps in the UK, um, uh, Jen Milo, a few of these other people. And it was like, um, and I had a look at their blogs and I thought maybe they blogged about how they got the job and I could learn something from it. No, they hadn't. So I thought, okay, I just searched for like automatic and, because a lot of people, you said that you saw my tweet about saying that I was pretty happy to get the job at Automatic. Mm. Everyone does that in some way, whether it's on Google Plus or Twitter or on their own blog. So I had, uh, again, so I went go- wider Google for like these posts. I thought maybe people would have a nugget of wisdom in there about, in their kind of self promotion slash self congratulatory message they put on their blog about how they got this super cool new job and they're excited. Maybe I could learn from something. And I don't think I did. I don't think I found some, some interesting bits, but I don't think I found anything super useful. So I went back to doing what any kind of regular um, young man or young lady would do about Google. How do I write a good CV? And it's like, keep everything on one page and, stand it out and all the things by priority and um so what what worked for me was i did spend a lot of time google image search for people's cvs and just visually looking at layouts if it looked like a one page microsoft word template i thought nah they've seen the word template before i don't want to do that i had something a little bit different um so i just went through countless google image searches finding what people you know, their own CVs and uh, just uh, came across a couple of kind of interesting layouts, just the typography and the spacing and how the page is split up and like your 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 past jobs, your 
uh, the, the, you know, in my case, like the programming languages that I know, uh, I've, I think I'd spoken at one or two WordCamps by then, so I said I'd been to like WordCamps and so and so to like show I've been uh, try to like join the WordPress uh, community in some way. Um, but no, it's just really it's just a case of a lot of hard work and coming up uh, spotting it. I think one or two uh, CV designs that stood out from my Google image search, and I kind of took bits from both of them. Did the whole kind of open sourcing thing and kind of mashing those ideas up and uh, <laughs> that's great. Uh, yeah, yeah, and uh, it and um, and and um, and make it work for me. And um, yeah, I, I I come up with some and I I came up with something that I think just presented my because I was looking for a specifically a PHP or WordPress developer position. I thought I better list all my WordPress plugins and. Um, better make a fuss of my uh, contribution to BuddyPress because BuddyPress was and is still owned by Automatic. So I thought at least one person in Automatic knows they bought BuddyPress somewhere <laughs> online. And, you know, I, if I can say I've spent like, it was like a year and a half contributing to BuddyPress at that point or, or however long it was. Um, again, it's just proof of like demonstrating that you're active in the community. And um, we hire lots of people, I should say, who perhaps are really great developers, but who haven't used WordPress before, who don't write for WordPress plugins or themes. And uh, sometimes, I mean, those are probably good things, but um, like if we're hiring like a, a systems uh, a systems engineer to run our servers, whether they built a WordPress theme or not is kind of, Mm. irrelevant mm. it's um but i, I do think i put a lot of focus really in cv like they always say tailor your applications to each uh employer that you're contacting mm. so there's a lot of stuff in there about you know what is automatic and what is the exact job that i'm going for and just trying to figure out where my areas of experience overlap with what the company was about and kind of structuring my uh, my uh, initial letter and CV to, you know, positioned like that. Great, I love that. Um, I love that nugget that you know you're not going to use the Word template because they've all seen the Microsoft Word <laughs> yeah. template. Yeah, before, exactly. So. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, all right, let's uh, let's move quickly into our elevation round. Uh, for those of you that don't know, WP Elevation is a business accelerator program for WordPress consultants to build a business. Uh, you can learn more at wpelevation.com. And also, if you like this podcast, please get over to iTunes and give us a five-star review. That would be great. And subscribe to the podcast at wpelevation.com. All right, so quick lightning round here. Paul, I'm going to ask mm -hmm. you some questions about... Um, WordPress freelancing and consulting. This might take you back to your days at the Telegraph when you first got that job. So uh, just quick thing off the top of your head, the yeah, first thing that yeah. comes in your mind. What's the number one thing any freelancer or consultant needs to know? How to communicate well. Ah, great advice. What's the best thing you've ever done to find new customers or clients? The best um, building, in my case, building WordPress plugins. I've... I've um, unless you've got something that you can prove and that you've worked on in your own free time, I think it shows a little bit more that it's something that I personally want to be involved in rather than it's something I want to do just to get money from it. How do you stop competing on price? So, oh, it's a hard question because how much do plugins sell for? They don't sell. Unless you're like uh, perhaps WooCommerce or 
uh, WP e-commerce or these few things, you can't sell plugins. Um, I think reputation is important, word of mouth. If I go to download a plugin or buy a WordPress theme, and if I know or know of the person who's built that, I'm more likely to get that one over some someone, some other thing that might be perfectly fine, but who I've never heard of before. So building a solid reputation. Nice. Any ideas for writing better proposals? So it was kind of interesting. Uh, I've never really had to write much proposals when I was doing some BuddyPress freelancing uh, a few years ago because BuddyPress was and kind of still is, still is a very specific niche mm. for WordPress developers. I was, it was easy enough for me to say, I'm building WordPress stuff and w- word of mouth. We like pass recommendations to each other. Great. That's a, that's actually a great tip for writing better proposals. Just get really specific at your skill set and then you don't need to write mm-hmm. proposals. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, favorite tool or system for CRM? I've never really had to use much for CRM. It's just not been... When I've had, had a project that involves clients, like more than one point of contact, I've been fortunate enough to work with uh, 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 you know, two or three other developers or business people, letting them handle that part. And I just want to write code, so yeah. Beautiful. What's the best way to keep a project on track? So kind of, uh, again, taking me back to the Telegraph, my Telegraph days, um, and what I've learned at Automatic is communication. If something is behind schedule because it's been misestimated or it's taken longer than someone thought it would, or because the client keeps changing their, you know, what they want, as long as there's constant two-way communication and it's possible for the client to see what you as a, as a developer, what you're working on and what you've done recently, they're not going to be calling you up every so often to like ask for updates. So if you can work in a way that it's possible for like people just to go along to GitHub and see your commits or your P2 and you just put updates maybe a couple of times a day. So, um, but that's the best way of keeping things on track. It's super important communication. It's one of those things that's easy to say, really hard to do in practice. Yeah, that's great advice. Any ideas for getting referrals from existing customers? Ah, do a good job. <laughs> Actually, do what you're gonna. It's hard. I've had a few jobs where I must admit I wasn't able to finish things because I was learning how to do BuddyPress and WordPress development and man- learning how to like try to manage clients and learn how to not piss them off so I actually get paid at the end of the day. And <laughs> I was trying to do too much of my so I have let, you know, a few people down in the distant past, uh, unfortunately. But, um, but yeah. So do, do good work and rely on word of mouth. Well, I think so, yeah. What's the number one thing you can do to differentiate yourself? Uh, we said this earlier, find a niche. Yeah. I don't care if you if you build WordPress themes. What do you build WordPress themes for? Do you build WordPress themes for schools or yeah. companies? Very different. Maybe you should, if you really love building sites for schools, like intranets maybe, yeah. maybe that's what you should focus on. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and you touched on this before when you were talking to the Telegraph, you were like, well, you're not going to find anyone in this part of the world that knows more about BuddyPress <laughs> than me because... You found that you loved this thing so much that you just owned it. You you lived it. You breathed it. You became the number one guy in your hemisphere 
that you know, <laughs> knows buddy press. Uh, and that's what that's that's exactly right. That's that's the best way to differentiate yourself. All right, that's um, all all good advice and food for thought in the elevation round. Thank you very much for that. What's the future for Buddy Press? Where do you see it going over the next twelve months to two years? So sometimes it's hard trying to contribute leadership to a project as a developer because you want to write code, which is why we have project leads, which is why we have development leads in like real life, you know, real jobs as it were, and people to tell you what to work on because they fought through the bigger architecture pieces because sometimes you just want to build stuff. You don't want to worry about all the small bits. Um, and then sometimes it's pretty fun to be involved with contributing to the direction of these projects. Uh, but something we always keep in mind is um, not getting um, not getting your vision stuck on one particular thing that you think is important. Because you might build a project. We might build buddy press in a way that it's not to its strengths or perhaps not in, not in the... Maybe we build it away from the ways that people are already using it. So um, we just uh, over Christmas we've uh, Buddy Press uh, 2014 survey, um, which is on BuddyPress.org at the moment, and it's all about kind of how do you use BuddyPress? What bits of BuddyPress do you like using? And when we get that feedback, if someone, if everyone says they always use, they always turn on this thing, and it turns out we haven't done anything big for that in two years that's perhaps something we should focus on for the you know then this next release or the one after that and build around build evolve the tool that the way your users are doing it i think again i see a lot of stuff about startups um they have a product or service and they find that first customer and the startups not often fail it might uh i read a lot of this stuff online is when they build they continue to build their mvp away from uh how their first customer is actually using it. If their customer uses some their product in a slightly different way to how the original developers thought mm. it should be done, mm. that's fine. You should at that early stage, you should definitely pivot and you have demand. You have your one customer. You don't mm. want to lose them. You should build things to make it work better for them because maybe they've seen something better in your tool than what you do. Yeah. And that's really all BuddyPress developers have wish lists of, I want to tidy up this code, I want to add this thing. Photo galleries is something we talk about and then kind of drop and talk about and drop and just not sure if it's something we should do or whether we could do it well. Um, but it's so it's, it's really hard to, uh, to not just work on, to be fair, a lot of the improvements we work on, most of the BuddyPress team, uh, the core team with Commit, do buddy press development for a living. There are other freelancers. Um, I work for Automatic. John works for a company called TenUp, which is a ginormous kind of uh, <laughs> WordPress agency in North America. Um, but so it's so it's like again, every all the work that TenUp do for BuddyPress, if one of their customers asks for something and John thinks that would actually make a really great idea for BuddyPress Core, just that outside opinion of how someone's using a project influences a lot as to how what we're going to build. Cool. So the future of BuddyPress is really being driven by by use case and the way that people are using it, which is a really nice segue into the details for the competition. 
Uh, Paul is giving away a physical copy and an electronic copy. That's two prizes of the Buddy Press theme development book. I'll put a link to that in the show notes uh, under the video. So the way to enter this competition is this. Leave a comment under this video and tell us your experience using BuddyPress. What's the number one uh, brick wall or roadblock or hurdle that you come across that you wish was easier to implement? Maybe it is, hey, there should be a toggle box I can push to activate photo galleries. Or, you know, maybe there's this feature that I would really love it to do which I can't figure out. Or maybe this thing's supposed to work and it, I just never get it to work. So leave some comments under the video. Paul will swing by a couple of weeks after the interview and award those prizes. Sound good, Paul? Yeah, it sounds awesome, yeah. Awesome. I'm just going to make a note of that Buddy Theme Development book link so I can put that uh, in the show notes. All right. Um, Where do you see WordPress in a couple of years? We talked briefly before about how Matt's been talking about WordPress becoming more of an application platform Mm -hmm. or it sort of becoming Lego blocks that you use to build things. Where do you see it going over the next couple of years? I think... I think it's likely that, and again, I know as much as you do about this, I think it's likely that one of the future 20 themes, like we have like 20, they started 2010, and we had 2014 in WordPress um, 3.9, is it? Mm-hmm. 3.8, whatever the latest yes. version is, 3.8, that launched yes. a little while ago. Um, and it came with a new theme. And I think we'll be interested in where it gets to the point where WordPress feels we should ship a theme and that lets people publish blog posts from the front end. I think that will be pretty interesting because the goal behind WordPress, uh, especially Matt's, the original idea behind it is to democratize publishing. Mm-hmm. And if it's hard to publish things from like a mobile phone or a tablet, which is what most of the web is, is being consumed on nowadays, well, people are going to go away from WordPress. Um, and I was uh, listening to um, a podcast that Matt did at the WP Tavern towards the end of last year with Sarah Gooden, and it was and there was a lot of stuff there about where he said, "I forget he's uh, much better educated than I am," <laughs> but he there was there was a point he made about um, to this kind of uh, this ancient concept where if you replace like there was this a myth in this axe. And if you replace the blade of an axe, is it still the same axe it was before? <laughs> is it the same tool? Right, so you have an axe that's passed down from like generations and like from your parents' parent and so on. And you get it one day and it still looks brand new. And of course the handle will have been replaced and probably the blade replaced or sharpened because it's been used. But you still have the same item in your hand that maybe your great-great-great-grandparents might have once held in theirs and it's still in great condition. And that means that that continual replacing of parts is new wear out or better ideas come along. So I think in five years, it wouldn't surprise me if WordPress, maybe WP Admin goes away. Maybe there's no back end. Or maybe, because there's like, maybe 15 different option screens in a default WordPress install. Mm. Maybe maybe all but like three of those go away. Mm. And it's like, that's a lot of stuff to like think about how it's going to happen. But as these things like the media library and back in WordPress 3.6 maybe when the media library change came in, 
no one's crying about the old media library going away because it replaced with something better. So WordPress always has had a media library. It's always let you upload pictures from some very early version, but the way that's done both under the hood and how a user uses it has changed so often. And um, all I want to know is when I get on my, like my mobile phone and I take a picture and I hit the send to button, why can't I do send to my WordPress.org blog? Mm. Yeah. Because I don't want to have to sync the pictures to my computer and log in and drag them. I just want to... So to really democratize all forms of publishing, the way we make that accessible for people to publish, I think is going to change quite a lot. Um, and it kind of sounds scary, and I think it is scary, but sometimes if you know what all the answers are going to be, probably means... You've, or you feel confident you know what the roadmap is going to be, maybe you've missed something or maybe something happens in a way that you, you've not predicted because it's so different from what you expect. Mm. So I could see, especially like in a long five, six term uh, lifespan, because Buddy Press is like, and this is its 11th year. I think the 10 year anniversary was last year. Wow. So half as long again, you know, another five years, Buddy Press will be, half as old again, uh, WordPress will be half as old again, and it will be, it's going to be see a lot of stuff different compared to today, but I I, I, uh, I think it's still going to be WordPress. It might just, you know, the axe might have a different handle on it, but it's still <laughs> going to be the same tool. Great metaphor. It's going to be very interesting to see how it unfolds over the next couple of years. Just before we wrap up, What's the number one piece of advice you would give any entrepreneur trying to build their own business or establish themselves in their own marketplace? Hmm. Kind of already said this, but I would say find a niche that you think that is in. No, find a niche that is interesting to you. Maybe not. That might be different from find a niche that is you know you're going to be able to make money out of mm. because sometimes people don't know they want to give you money for something that doesn't exist yet. Mm. So you have to find something that you're passionate about in. And like we've spoken about, you, can, you have to find something that keeps you going through those hard times when you kind of lose all hope in a project. It's like, why am I wasting all my time on this? And you just have to keep going. And uh, sooner or later, someone is going to find that idea and, um, you you might you might build the next Reddit or you might build the next Skype service or yeah. and then those then those early days of all that hard work are gonna seem totally worth it when that happens. It's really good advice that um, find something you're passionate about and that interests you and that is going to give you the fuel you need to keep going because it is hard work. Even if you're not trying to build your own business, even like in your situation, if you're trying to land the dream job with Automatic, you still mm -hmm. had to go through a massive learning curve and work really hard to become the buddy press linchpin, if you like, that you became so valuable it made perfect sense for them to bring you on board and start you know, contributing with them being able to support you with the resources. So you still had to work really hard to get to that point. And, being, and doing that just for making money is just not enough to keep you... But banging your head against a brick wall, is it? You need to have that passion, that fire in your belly. So I think that's a really exactly, interesting yeah. point you make. Hey, Paul, where can people reach out to you and say thanks for the interview? 
Uh, yeah, that's a good question because people email me and I never look at an email. So don't email me <laughs> unless I've told you to email me. Don't email me because I'll probably never get around to reading. <laughs> best best way is to reach out to me on Twitter. Yeah. Uh, P Gibbs on Twitter and, and just say hi and let me know what you want to talk about. And Beautiful. Take it from there. I love the fact that you're honest about your email there too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's like a to-do list sometimes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And um, it's like, I don't want another to-do list. Exactly. Yeah. Awesome. Well, uh, finally, who would you like me to try and interview on the WP Elevation podcast and why? Have you spoken to Noel Tock before? I with, have, uh, actually. Happy Tables. It's you have funny you mentioned that. Noel. Uh, Noel and Tom's interview, I spoke to uh -huh. Noel and Tom at the same time, and I think uh -huh, yeah. I'm pretty sure their interview's going live tomorrow. Oh, cool. Good yes. timing. Well, when this goes up, now it'll have happened before. But yes, yeah, yes anyway. that's right. <laughs> no, because, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to now. I know was a, I've met him at several WordCamps, and yeah. he's like the best person I know in a WordPress community who has that kind of entrepreneurial. If I think of a WordPress entrepreneur, it's hard to think of, for me, someone other than Noel. Yeah, he and, is. Yeah. Uh, he, he, I've met him at WordCamp Europe last year, and then Pressnomics. Mm -hmm. I hung out with him and uh, Tom again, and they're they're very they're, they're great guys, and it's a great interview. So I'll send you a link when it's published, man. Yeah. Okay. So my uh, another person who might be interesting is perhaps uh, Andrea Rennick or Andrea Rennick. Okay. From I... um, uh, I forget who she works for. I'm a bad person. What what's her um, what's her last name? Andrea Rennick. R-E-N-N-I-C-K, maybe? Let me just, via the magic of the I'm, internet. I'm not sure of, I, do, I haven't heard of Andrea Rennick. Well, you've been missing out. <laughs> I'll tell what? you what, I'll drop you her contact details after we're done here. Beautiful. Um, she's works for one of the WordPress uh, uh, theme shops, I do believe. Uh-huh. Um, she's perhaps best known for doing... A year's worth of service in a WordPress support forums in the support community. Um, she gets involved with the make.wordpress.org forward slash, um, you know, uh, forum support. Yes. Um, and it's a super friendly person. Great. And uh, her and her husband, Ron, did a lot of work about WordPress multi-site when WPMU was uh, separate from WordPress all those years ago. Yep. And... Uh, if you had a WPMU question, like how do I set up domain mapping, it's like go and talk to these guys. Right. They're the experts. Beautiful. Well, it's a great to talk to you. On Andrea, is it? Is that how you say it? I'm not sure. Okay. She's Canadian. We'll figure it out. Andrea, Andrea. I'm coming to get you either way, courtesy of Paul Gibbs. <laughs> so keep an eye on your inbox and I will be hitting you up for an interview. Awesome. Hey, Paul Gibbs, thank you so much for spending a ridiculous amount of time of your time with us here on the WP Elevation podcast. I really appreciate the, uh, the time that you've given us and uh, I wish you all the best for your future at WordPress, VIP, Automatic and BuddyPress uh -huh. and I really look forward to seeing how it all evolves over the next couple of years. Yeah, thank you. And um, it's been, we should talk again. We should talk again soon. It's, it's a nice podcast. Uh, it was great fun. And um, yeah. Awesome. We will do. do. Yeah. We'll definitely keep in touch. Thanks, Paul. Mm -hmm. Okay, cheers. Cheers.